episode 114, the end. Welcome back to the name of the pod, where hopefully you will be drinking every time you hear us say the words ongoing cultural legacy. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Chris Tatro, and joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, John Cassie. How's it going, man? It's going, it's going very well. You know, we're here, 114 episodes in. Right, right. And this is uh, it. And this is it. Episode yeah. 115, the last episode of the name th- th- of the pod. This is, for, this is 114. This is 114. This is 114. Ah, ah okay. Yeah. Somehow yep. I yep. thought this was 115. I probably didn't count right. I'm not good at numbers. Well, you know, Babylon 3. Yeah. Babylon 7. You know, we, yeah. we had to. Ba- Babylon 4 that was 6 and then 4 and then 0. And right. <laughs> right. That should be the revival's name, Babylon 0. Or sure. just Babylon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, we're off to a rolling start, as always, friends. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Um, we've uh, we, we've we've lost a little bit of our uh, uh, huh. practice of of kind of oh. uh, getting it wrong at the beginning of these episodes. Yeah, um, but I had no idea even how to plug this microphone in. I was like, yeah, right, so, right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Garage Band was being somewhat finicky this morning. Mm. Uh, so, you know, to Chris's point. You know, we've said at the beginning of, of, of all these episodes, uh, exploring the ongoing cultural legacy of Babylon 5. This is our last opportunity Drink. to do that. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is what we are going to do in a variety of ways and in different perspectives. Uh, we've got questions from our Facebook audience and Chris from the... From the Something Awful uh, Babylon 5 uh, forum. Right. And thread. Um, yeah. thread. And we've got a number of topics. This episode is likely to be longer than uh, than our typical episodes go, but it is our it is our uh, finale. Yeah. So we'll make it as long it, as Chris said in the pre-show, it will be as long as it needs to be. Yes. Yeah. And what are you gonna do? Fire us? You're gonna stop listening after this episode? <laughs> no, everyone Come already on. people yeah, stopped, stopped listening, listening many, yeah. Twelve episodes, many episodes ago. ago. Come ago. On. <laughs> yeah. If you had any sense, in right? Yeah, uh, yeah um, you can imagine the 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 listener thinking about how they didn't care for season five, and then having to slog through season five episodes that some of which we didn't really care for. Yeah, it's I like, mean, it oh was, my god, it, it was a rough go through through a lot of season five. You know, the motivation to actually you know, to sit down and talk about these things for however long we talked was, was rough. That was, that was definitely a point of it. Yeah. Because there were, there were a lot of times when it didn't, it just didn't work. Um, Yeah. But, um, but that's not, uh, that's not our theme of the day. Nope. Nope. Um, And uh, we have to stick to the list if we're going to get through this in three hours. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So we said in the gathering, what about this show got it made? Because it it does conform in many respects to the best worst sci-fi show, right? Its highs oh, yeah. are really high, its lows are particularly low. It's a strange little show, it was expensive. It was on a network that didn't really exist and that didn't really work and they had to move to TNT. You know, what is it about this that got it made and that got it sustained? And I think it's the uh, the sort of extraordinary 
breadth and range of the imagination. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. Especially at, at the time that it was being done. You know, we've said this so many times. Nobody was doing long form, you know, five year scale uh, programming. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. All the st- of course, all the soap operas had ongoing storylines that just kind of kept going and going and going. But there was there. I, I don't I don't think anybody came in with a series Bible at any point prior to this and said, here's the story I want to tell. It's going to take five years. It's sketched out in this level of detail. And and this is really where we're going with it. Um, you know, it, it, and you got to add JMS's persistence. Yep. To that. As we saw when we when we read Becoming Superman, uh, he doesn't really take no for an answer, right? Um, and and just his pure stupid dumb luck that <laughs> somehow he manages to be in the right place at the right time constantly to get these breaks. Uh, you know that I think that's that's sort of your your confluence of of pieces. You know, it, it captured it captured enough of the imagination to to say, well, you know, let's let's see how this how this goes, and and to trust this guy who just keeps, you know, saying, I'm going to do this, let's do this. Um, yeah, those are those are definitely uh, those are what I see as the points that 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 not only got it on screen in the first place, but at, brought it back after the gathering, which was rough. Yeah. One can, one can imagine a universe where the gathering is made. It's shown. It's a strange little artifact of 1990s science fiction television. Whatever happened to that concept? Oh, it never went mm. anywhere because that that pilot was so uneven. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know, you go back and watch it and say, oh, yeah, I can see why it kind of didn't work. Right. Yeah. You know, as some. 90s programs that we like mm-hmm. got short seasons or or uh, you know got right. very little little coverage. Um, I think everything that you've said is dead on. I think the fact that in the 90s there were two factors in play that also helped. One, there was a great revival in television sci-fi in the 90s. Yes, um, some of it good. Uh, you know, uh, Babylon Five. Um, mm-hmm. um, the X-Files, right? right. We'll, we'll group it broadly under sci-fi, right? Yep. Um, and some of it not so good. Um, and But there was nevertheless an interest. So there was more of a, an interest, a willingness to commit funds to try it. And, right. And even when it isn't so great, mm-hmm. Babylon 5 does offer an entirely new fully realized and developed universe that is unlike any other universe that exists to that time mm-hmm. other than Star Trek. And and I and would it, say it's even different enough from Star Trek, you know, to be uh to be in its own uh in its own kind of arena. Yeah. It, you know, it it has the grander cosmic scope going on yeah that yeah and we've talked about this you see in star trek you see your your cues and your um uh oh all all the various ones from the old series you know with these these gods on planets who have right. these incredible powers and uh you know, the hand of apollo yeah just right <laughs> kind of kind of you know enormously powerful cosmic beings 
but they don't seem to have any kind of continuity to them. Right. They just kind of exist. Right. Uh, you know, kind of almost separate from each other. Uh, right. Whereas the, the Babylon 5 cosmology gives a reason for all of it and ties it all together. Right. Um, yeah. Right. It, 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 it has an integrity as a televised novel that a serialized, uh, uh, that an episodic program doesn't care to have. Right. And therefore doesn't. Yeah. But if you keep watching an episodic program, you start to see things that don't really fit with something you watched 12 episodes ago. And it's like, what right. the hell is that about? Right, right, right. And I think Babylon 5 also was, I could be very wrong at this, but I think it was probably the first show that, that at least gave a nod toward kind of real space physics in its ship designs and, you know, maneuvering. And, you know, when we would see the, the Star Furies kind of pivot and, and use their thrusters to, to change direction, uh, seeing the, the revolving Earth ships uh, to right. maintain their internal gravity, uh, the station itself. I, you know, I don't recall those kinds of things being in sci-fi up until that point, t- t- TV sci-fi. Yeah, I don't think they were. Yeah, to your so, point. You know, now we've got the Expanse, sort of the mother of all, right. uh, of all, <laughs> right. you know, vector-based uh, you know, sci-fi <laughs> programs. Um, even Babylon uh, in, in Battlestar Galactica, you know, it was a it was a going concern. But uh, yeah, but yeah. So so you kind of had it. You had something here for the for the hard sci-fi buffs to really sink their teeth into for sure Mm -hmm. uh because uh you know trek is is only nominally of uh uh of of that kind of space physics yeah right yeah yeah if we don't mention gravity on ships we don't have to come up with a reason for why there is right so just um don't ever say the word gravity right um Mm -hmm. Pause for a moment. No, no, pause for a moment. Okay. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now, uh, the second question that we were uh, asked by audience members is, what did we find surprising in the rewatch? Um, I have a few things. Uh, my memory of the quality of acting was that it was not very well acted and i think that that is not as fair on rewatch as my memory uh served yeah particularly uh tracy scoggins Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. who i had you know great loathing for right and who i came to quite like yeah in season five Mm mm-hmm yeah similarly i had i had a similar note down on that that uh I remember at the time talking about re- referencing all of Sheridan's speechifying, right? And going on and on, and and where was that? That you know, where where did we get that at the time? I didn't see it now. Nope. And I would think that sort of thing would stand out even more in 2020 right. than it did in you know 1996 or what have you. Right. So right. yeah, it was it 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 felt smoother in a lot of places, better acted. Um, yeah. the, I think the, again, from a 2020 perspective, the, the set 
design. The it, it had much more of a stage production quality as far as totally. like a lot of the, the blocking and the sets and whatnot. Um, but I think a lot of that was uh, was the nature of the budget that they were working with. I can't really fault them for that. And it wasn't it wasn't something that was obtrusive a lot of the time. Just every once in a while, you'd notice a door like bounce and be like, mm. right, yeah. right, the uh, falling masonry that yeah. That that bounced, you know, yeah. steel girders that bounce, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it it felt particularly in the first season, it mm-hmm. felt like they were making it on a shoestring. Yeah, um, but that's okay, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because they got a lot, they got a lot out of it. They sure did. Uh, yeah, that otherwise they would not have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the wild diversity of starship designs. Mm-hmm. Is something that also came back to me. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now I I knew that they had a they had a bunch of great looking ships. Mm-hmm. That was that was a no brainer to me. But they had so many, and so many different races with so many different kinds of of ship design. Right. And that's something that I really like. So uh, yeah, you know, I come away from a rewatch of this being like, oh yeah, I really want a remake of this. Mm-hmm. With I want to see some of these ships with new CGI, and not just Vorlons and Minbari, but you know yeah. those Drazi and all these other kinds of ships. Yeah, yeah, they put really put some thought into all of the different cultures and all of their what their ships would look like. You know, so yeah. that there wasn't anything that was that was kind of too similar. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I was I was surprised, and again, mo- this is mostly. F- based on faulty memory of 25 years ago <laughs> watching this, um, that the break from Earth came so late in the series. Same. In, in, in my mind, it had come much earlier, and, you know, kind of while the whole Earth, uh, Shadow War was still going on. Yeah. Um, and they just didn't have support from Earth for a lot of it, uh, which was true, but it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't that Earth, that they were fighting on two different fronts. Right, right. Um, my um, my memory, to your point, mm-hmm. uh, another surprising point for me was that I really felt going into starting this that the Earth political stuff was really going to land for me. Mm-hmm. And it kind of bounced off me a little bit in 2018, 19, 20. Yeah. Um, I felt like it came too late. Um, Clark was too mustache twirly, mm-hmm. you know, of a, a villain. Um, and yeah. a, another surprise maybe was how actually good on rewatch. I thought the um, ISN episodes were. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, that 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 was not. I, I remembered them. And I remember as we were leaning into those episodes, dreading having to talk mm-hmm. about them. But I quite like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Um, the last point that I had uh, about surprise was was actually how little Morton there was. That I, mm. uh, again, I, I thought that he was in more episodes, that he had a much larger kind of presence uh, than, he, than he ends up having. Yeah. Yeah, he's, for being uh, such a classic sci-fi villain, I mean, I, I just think of him. 
as being sort of all over all yeah. over seasons two. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. He's a he's a he's a uh, uh, carefully used salt and pepper, isn't he? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe he only gets a scene in an episode. Mm-hmm. It's a pivotal scene, the most important scene in the episode, maybe. Right. Oh, sure. Um, and his capacity to manipulate Londo is. Well, it wasn't a surprise. We knew that going in, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. But it was, it was, it was just as delicious yep. to watch him at work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my last is uh, my memory of this was that Cartagia, the Cartagia sequence lasted yeah. way longer than it actually did. Mm. It was like what six episodes. Yeah, maybe if that. Yeah, it wasn't too much. Right? No, I mean, he's he's so Caligula. He's so ha-ha-ha right. mad right. that you probably couldn't sustain him for very long. But still, my, my memory was that he was a uh, an enduring menace. And maybe it's mm. just because he was so... He was so evil. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the time you were watching it sort of week to week or there were breaks or season, maybe even season breaks in between his uh his parts that that it may have it may have stretched it out more at the time uh yeah than than we were getting kind of shotgunning through stuff here right right yeah but, but um, yeah I, I agree yeah yeah um the third question that we were <coughs> excuse me the third question we were asked was you know sort of to what extent we see babylon 5 as a uh, as an example of JMS maturing as a writer and, you know, kind of what do we think about that? Um, and we've talked about this as well. Sure. You know, at previous episodes. Um, you know, my own perspective is that uh, the telepath content of season five notwithstanding, there's a much more subtle approach to character development um, mm-hmm. in season five than there was maybe in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, he still sort of plots with a broad brush. Yeah. Right. Um, in season five. Um, but I think his dialogue has smoothed out by the end of this show. Um, it, it rarely sort of has that off sounding, you know, that is not something that <laughs> you would ever say. Right. You can read it, but no mm-hmm. one would ever say it. Exactly. That that yeah. that that's mm-hmm. the quality of his writing at the beginning that mm-hmm. stays with me. But in the end, a lot less of that. Yeah. Uh agreed. I think he's I think he's stronger as a plotter than as a scripter. Uh yeah. but I think yeah, having gone back and looked at a couple of season one episodes in, in preparation for this, just in short you know, short bursts here and there. Right. I, I definitely see that, that, that even when scenes ne- didn't necessarily land or the way that the dialogue was being presented, you know, I'm thinking of a lot of the stuff with, um, with Byron where yep. we just felt it wasn't, it wasn't coming across. It wasn't in, it wasn't in the, the writing. It was more in the directing or in the, uh, in how the character was presented that, that just kind of missed the mark. So, right. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think you you see him, you see him getting better, and it's that whole was it Malcolm Gladwell the ten thousand hours thing? Is that, Indeed. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
you know, he's he's writing so many episodes that one would hope by the end of it he's better. Uh, yeah. And he certainly yeah. is. Uh, yeah. You know, he's he he's taken the reins. He had a lot of writing work before this, of course, but he's yep. he's you know, in the combination of showrunner, writer, all of these all of these pieces together uh, to make it really fit. Every, everything does fit together very nicely. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I went back and listened to The Gathering, our show, The Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, and we made the point that I think speaks to this, that Tamlin Tamita, you know, uh, Lu- mm-hmm. Lieutenant Commander yeah. Laurel, Takashima, Laurel Takashima, was, um, it was not, it was not a good Mm-hmm. characterization mm-hmm. it was not what it needed to be and so she was replaced okay yeah. great but our point was you know we've seen Tamla Tamita in other things mm-hmm. and she's good yeah. right she was in The Man in the High Castle mm-hmm. she was good she was in Star Trek Picard she was good okay yeah the problem is she was written badly and yeah. and so she can't you can't fix that right right now the characters later on who we think maybe don't land uh i think less of the problem is with the writing and mm-hmm. more of it is simply with the way they're interpreting the writing right right mm-hmm. um and so that speaks to to jms growing as a writer as well yeah um i mean and frankly you and i have both watched sense eight mm-hmm and maybe a collaboration with the uh, Wachowskis has had some effect on that, but there isn't a character on that show who isn't extremely well-written, right. deeply authentic, real, believable, and kind of compulsively watchable. They're right. all compulsively watchable. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the idea that we've mentioned many times of that JMS maybe with a collaborator or with a writer's room. Right. Somebody who, who can say no every once in a while to a particular direction or a, or a subplot or something uh, might work out stronger. I, I, I haven't looked for it. I, I hope that there's you know a DVD or something of Sense8 that somewhere that breaks out who was responsible for what parts among the three of them? Huh. Uh, I'd I'd love to I'd love to be able to watch it again through that lens of okay you know this one's you and this one's you and this one's you you know is is it did they each take a character right uh, or how how intertwined was the writing yeah 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 I'd love to get I'd love to get more on that mm-hmm. um, but I'm still uh, I'm still pained by its cancellation <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so. Good. All right. Christopher Frankie's soundtrack. Yeah. Or the soundtrack more generally. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big soundtrack guy, frankly. I see. Um, so, you know, with, with the exception of the Star Wars films, which, you know, I will listen to obsessively. That's pretty much pretty much it. Um, I, I thought that Frankie's music... Uh, the scoring was um, was solid throughout. It was it was never detracting, or mm-hmm. never like oh that that sort of that motif doesn't fit here. That you know it's the, it it feels off from from the general tenor of the show. 
Um, and some places was was really phenomenal. Um, yeah. You know, just thinking of the third season opening theme. Bum, yeah. Bum, 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 just bum, bum. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really captures it so nicely. Um, yeah, I, I, I liked it, but I don't, I don't have, I don't think I have the depth of the, of the knowledge of the field to really say more. I mean, I, I like, uh, um, scores, uh, you know, uh, movies, films, uh, movies, television, mm-hmm. um, video games, um, and I think that Babylon 5 is kind of right up the middle in terms of its quality. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't find myself, when I'm listening to that kind of music, um, always reaching for Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. I find myself reaching for the music from uh, the video game Journey. I find myself reaching for uh, music from World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that the Stuart Copeland mm-hmm. opening to The Gathering, which we've used on our show yep. to, to lead into our show, uh, had been in some way, uh, you know, survived or mm-hmm. people could riff on it, right? What I like about about the music of a show like Star Trek is there are so many incarnations of it mm-hmm. that it's basically current composers riffing on ideas from past shows right right and yeah. or you know i mean except in the case of star trek the next generation that just took star trek the motion pictures theme basically wholesale right 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 um, yeah you definitely get in discovery there's there's it's just there's all kinds of, of uh, callbacks, you know, especially at the very end to the to the original uh, Alexander right. Courage theme. Alexander Courage, I believe yes. that's okay. right. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Like I said, not don't always pay attention to music, but uh, yeah, yeah, that sort of fanfare mm-hmm. that even if you've never watched an episode of Star Trek, you were you would recognize it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I like the evolution of the Babylon Five theme over the many seasons. And yeah. agree with you that I think that the season three, right, was yeah. in some respects the 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 best expression right. of what Babylon Five's music was. Yeah, the the opening theme evolves to capture the the kind of sp- the the feeling of the show of the season, for um, sure. But yeah. I'll, uh, the the fact that even before going back and rewatching this, you know, having not seen the show for twenty odd years, that I could still remember that season three theme for sure. That certainly speaks to the the strength of it. Um, and you know, the, that and the um, the music from uh, the end of Sleeping in Light, the yep. this destruction of the station, I think are 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 my two favorite pieces. Um, the rest of it, it, like I said, it's 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 easy to mess up. And to have something yeah. that really doesn't <laughs> right, right. doesn't fit with what you're going for, and and you kind of notice it because it's jarring. Uh, and this this definitely fits. It, it sort of it it melds into the show itself as opposed to 
to being really distinct from it, I guess. Maybe if I listened to the score albums themselves, I would have a better appreciation for it. But Maybe. But it, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I have. Mm-hmm. And I think that that the 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 music accomplishes its goal which of course is the first right you know, please please accomplish the goal i have set for you right yes if you have some integrity separate and above from that dynamite right yep um, not every episode of any sci-fi show is uh, star trek the next generation's the inner light which has its own mm. it has its own uh uh you know sweet right right not every episode of sci-fi is the trouble with tribbles, mm-hmm. which if you watch this kind of these kind of programs, all you need is is two two bars of the trouble with tribbles, and you know what it is. Yeah, right. Or um, arena, the fight music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's great stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that that what if I were remaking this show, mm-hmm. I would musically I would want yeah. two things. I want Stuart Copeland's <laughs> music. Yeah. Back in somehow. Mm-hmm. And I would want the composer. To give me clear musical themes that speak to the different uh, races and nationalities, right? Interesting. Right. Okay. I want I want the oboe to represent the mimbari, or uh-huh. you know, or I want uh, I want a lot of brass when I'm talking about the centauri. Yeah. Or yeah. or or something. Right. Hmm. Interest. That's that's it. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's uh, right. that would give it, give it a, a much, a, a much different kind of tone, literally and you know metaphorically, yeah. to each, to each of the scenes. You know, the stuff that's in Cartage's uh, palace has a, it sounds different from the, right. the music that you get when you're out and about in the Star Fury. Yeah, which I sort of feel like it ought to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You could imagine uh, the episode where they they do in Lord Rifa on mm-hmm. Narn, right? Oh, yeah. You could imagine the music being Centauri-themed, right? But then suddenly Narn notes begin to appear. And then over the course yeah. of like a minute and a half, mm-hmm. the, the music trans- transitions from yeah. Centauri music to Narn music, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you would, that would be emotionally resonant. Yeah. Right. You would right. recognize it coming without it being something that you could put your finger on. Right. right. Yeah. You definitely get that in, in the Star Wars uh, soundtracks. You you get that a lot. With yeah. The different character motifs and, and right. you know, you get, uh, transitions from, from kind of a, from a light into a dark when some, when someone's right. transforming or something is, right. is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would dig that. I would dig that a lot. Yeah, so and I, I'm I always would, I'm always a fan of Stuart Copeland, you know, a the a, a god of hitting things with sticks. Full uh, stop. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I think that uh, I think that uh, f- 
before its time, mm -hmm. right, in the 1990s, Babylon 5's music hangs with the very best. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's quite as uh, evocative as, say, you know, Badalamenti in Twin Peaks mm -hmm. or Mark Snow's work on X-Files and Millennium, which yeah. ridiculously well captured the tone of those shows. Mm -hmm. If they were going playful and sort of goofy, the music would go there. Yeah. If they were going creepy, he could go there. I mean, Mark Snow is is a is a is a wonderkind. Absolutely. And um, I was on another uh, uh, another show talking about um, Star Trek as a role playing mm -hmm. environment, uh, and. I think the very best of all of the Star Trek themes is Voyager, and that's from the 90s as well. I don't mm. think the rest of Voyager's music is particularly uh, noteworthy, yeah. but I think, uh, I think Voyager's theme is, uh, is, is the purest distillation of Trek values. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, at least to, to me. myself. And, right? and, yeah. You know, yeah. 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 I mean, that show doesn't always work. Um, but I think musically, that theme, mm -hmm. dynamite. Yep. Um, so that brings us to a question that was asked yeah. about the way that Babylon 5 enacts and represents topics about race mm -hmm. in, its, um, in its narrative. Yeah. And... Chris, the question came to you, so could you sort of frame it? Yeah, yeah. It was more about, it was specifically looking at Dr. Franklin and that that Richard Biggs apparently uh, appreciated that he was never kind of put forward as the black doctor. I you see. Know, that, that it was never really, it, that it, it, was, it was never, I don't want to say it was never a defining part of the character, but it wasn't kind of the defining part of the character. It wasn't, you know, uh, uh, it wasn't, you didn't hang a, a, a lampshade on his race. It was just, oh, you know, he's a doctor, he's black, he's treated like everybody else here. It feels like the, and I'm making exaggerated air quotes here, a, a race blind society has mm -hmm. been achieved in the future. Because um, nobody, just, I mean, nobody makes a deal, big deal about it within any of the earth uh, peoples at all. Um, and I'm of two different minds about that. You know, I like, I, I like the, the kind of thought of it. And it's a very Star Trek-y kind of thing of, Oh, everything, everyone's achieved this peaceful harmony. And it's just not an issue that we humans bring up among ourselves anymore. But then at the same time, you know, so remember, this is actually a show being made in the 90s, which was a very, well, I guess compared to today, not as much, but it was a, it, there was a lot of racially charged uh, tension uh, in the mid 90s that you'd almost, you'd, you'd want to address it in some way, shape or form. Um, and you know, Deep Space Nine did so. You know, particularly with the issues of, of the Bell Riots, uh, the episodes around the Bell Riots, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. ta talked about Benjamin Sisko and his family in 
and how race, how being black affected them, uh, and and didn't really shy away from a lot of things there. Um, and I, you know, I part of me part of me likes that it's it's smoothed out. Part of me says, I, you know, by by doing that, you're not addressing the issue. Uh, and so I'm kind of torn on on the on the issue of Dr. Franklin himself. Yeah, my own my own perspective, building off of yours, is the Babylon Five doesn't really seem to make much of a claim to want to discuss questions of race from a human perspective mm-hmm. in its narratives, right? I don't know that that means that we're getting a kind of Roddenberryan race blind, you know, fully automated gay space communism about race. Yeah. I just think that he devotes his writing energies towards other questions. He cares more mm-hmm. about about riffing on um, religion as a lens to understand human diversities. Yeah. Than he does about uh, race or. Mm-hmm. Or gender, or yeah. or other topics that you might care about, but he doesn't yeah. appear to, which fits his background nicely. JMS's right. background, yeah, that yeah. that he has a place from which to speak on this. Uh, maybe he didn't want to address race because he was wise enough to know that you know a white guy making a show, putting bringing race as a big you know that's that's he's probably going to step in it somewhere along the way. Mm. And since uh, he's the really the only writer, yeah, right. If he if he doesn't think that that's something that he can productively engage with, then you don't get uh, the the kind of uh, dynamic between Benjamin Sisko and Jake Sisko. Mm-hmm. Now you get it between Doctor Franklin and General Franklin. Mm-hmm. And we thought that was pretty good stuff, right? Right. But um, Paul Winfield, really, I mean, give him a yeah. new, give him a, give him a phone book, and right. and he'll give you the best stuff ever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and your point about the bell riots in DS Nine is well taken. Um, Far beyond the stars. Oh right. Is is just about one of the best. Uh, expressions of understanding race in a sci-fi context mm-hmm. that 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 you could that you could hope to get your hands on. Yeah, right. I mean, it's an it's an extraordinary episode of television. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't like DS Nine, you ought to go watch it. Right. Uh, if you haven't seen it, um, yeah. I uh, I think that given the the context of the '90s, there was definitely a social space, a social reality going on mm-hmm. where some interest in discussing it might have emerged yeah and yet it really doesn't he's more interested in mimbari caste warfare <laughs> right than right. in human than in understanding what's going on from that perspective you know on mm-hmm. on earth mm-hmm. yeah and again that might be that he just doesn't he doesn't want to touch it you know, for a lot of the reasons that white people don't like to talk about race issues. Oh, sure. He doesn't Maybe. know how to talk about it. He's not comfortable. He knows he's going to, he knows, like I said, he knows he's going to, he's going to get it wrong somewhere along the way. Right. Um, 
And so by simply saying, well, you know, everybody on Earth is accepted and, and everything's cool at this point, then uh, then it's it's you, you dodge it. But I don't know how responsible that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it It's not really what I want no. my sci-fi to do in 2020. Mm-hmm. And it's... Right. It's not what I would have wanted it to do, you know, in 1997, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, he does himself no favors by, you know, the black man being the one with the drug problem. Correct. Uh, correct. I, so, so, you know, if, if that's an indication of what we would have gotten if he'd actually leaned into discussing race issues, then it's probably better that he didn't? Full stop. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... Um, and that, uh, that maybe that tendency, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If it had gotten full expression. Mm-hmm. He's also kind of the sexual predator. Right. You know, which is a little, there's gross. a lot of icky going on in there. You know, if, yeah. when you, when you look at a lot of stuff around Dr. Franklin that, um, yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stand behind my point of of he he would have gotten it wrong, and I think he knew it. Yeah, right, right. Um, and to that point, mm. uh, I've complained repeatedly uh, throughout the uh, the five seasons of this show that I think that his angle and narrative towards some of the aliens mm-hmm. uh, actually enables and encourages a kind of racist discourse right namely the pac right right which are sometimes oh look at their beautiful music and mm-hmm. you know oh well we we only got saved there by the clever pac but yet um the the tendency to uh make jokes about inherent qualities that they have mm-hmm. and then uh uh you know, kind of further, further racialize them. You know, in the Ranger story and things like that. Yeah. Um, felt to me like, yeah, no, we wouldn't. Th- this is not something that would happen in 2020. Yeah, it's it's definitely more of a 1990s feeling around discussions around race or yep. or how it's presented in in television, and you know, so he's so. It's it's pretty clear, as you said, that JMS is is kind of shifting that narrative over, and maybe using that as a lens to say, you know, look how dumb we are when right. we say these things about people. You know, talking about the Pac Mara, um, but it didn't really. Again, there there wasn't enough there wasn't enough follow through there for it to really land and work well. Right, right, and there was potential there. There was. Yeah, and it didn't get it didn't get taken. Yeah, you can um, only cram so much stuff into uh, into five years plus of of television, but certainly, as we've talked many times about, kind of a, a redo of the show or relaunch of it, I think that's something that would be uh, that would be welcomed in in the twenty twenties. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I can remember in season one. 
wanting more explication of the way that these major alien races thought mm-hmm. and saying, you know, even the even the framework, you know, I, I, I know I cited Star Trek six, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, the the uh, the Federation, you know, uh, inalienable human rights. Well, the very idea yeah. of the Federation is racist. Right. right. And saying only club. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And saying, you know, that um, that Babylon five ought to do a better job about that mm-hmm. than it was presently doing. And I think the Interstellar Alliance uh, is a is a fair go at attempting that. Hmm. Right. But yet you still have, even in season five, a very shouty uh, President Sheridan, yeah. uh, you know, being pissed at these aliens for being alien, essentially. Yeah. Right. I mean, why yeah. won't you think the way that, you know, that I want you to think? Right. Right. Why, why do you continue to act in your strange and, uh, you know, backwards ways? Mm hmm. Uh, we'll never get this alliance going because you you seem you have your unwilling. own interests, you have your own agendas and you're not just going to s- step in line with what you know the right. great white hope wants you to to do right right you know Jakar has provided you with a new set of of cultural values you will adopt them mm-hmm. I have endorsed them I am your president yeah. right uh, there are whole episodes where these you know Drazi and others are like we're not signing up on that. Those are mm-hmm. your values, not ours. But they always uh, come around by the end of the episode. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't go as far as we would have liked it to, uh, but it was the 90s. I'm not sure most shows were addressing race issues in the way that we in 2020 would want them to do. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a product of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Um and it has to it has to live within that reality. Mm-hmm. Right. And um it has to be understood within that reality. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Um now the next question the 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 next question mm-hmm. that came to us was let me see if I can if I can frame it uh as as I understood it. Um, we live in a very polarized political environment in 2020, not just in the United States, but in, you know, in globally, yeah, across the, across the planet. Yep. And why does it seem that there are people who are on the side of, uh, Babylon 5 and the Rebel Alliance and mm-hmm. uh, you Starfleet. Know, Starfleet, you know, nominally the quote-unquote good guys yeah. who are clearly taking a stand against the quote-unquote bad guys. And they, they support these values, the values of the Alliance, mm-hmm. the values of the Rebel Alliance, the values of Starfleet. And yet when they, when they enact their their politics in the real world they seem to support the opposite side mm-hmm. you know and you you see that in people complaining about uh, uh, casting 
you know, a black woman as the lead on Star Trek Discovery, as if that wasn't fundamental to a Roddenberryan sense of the world. Are you even watching this program? Do you right. know anything about this show you're complaining about? Because well, if you I did, mean, no. <laughs> right? Yeah, the answer is no. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> right. I, I think if we're looking at that specific example, um, I think there are a lot of people who have who translate into in their minds what a particular franchise or what a particular thing is, and they have they have kind of this platonic ideal of of what it should be. Uh-huh. Whether that's you know who is Batman, you know what what kind of character is Batman, what right. or Superman, what do they do, how do they behave, uh, what what do they look like, right? Um, and the the problem with the internet is that it's given everyone an equal voice uh, to shout on <laughs> right, message right. boards. Eternal, I think Warren Ellis may have said that or something, um, but it's it's anybody with with an opinion and to, to rub together can get out there and say it and the more extreme voices get magnified yeah um yeah so it's 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 when what's happening now doesn't jibe with the the that platonic ideal that was established based on star trek of the you know 1960s 1980s what have you Right. Um, is is where these things come now. Now, the, at the root of the question is, well, how do you how do you get and lock down that platonic ideal in such a way that that you become sort of blind to the evolution of the concept? Right. You know, yes, I can think of myself. You know, I am a I am a rebel. You know, fighting against the great oppressive uh, you know, empire. Empire. Whether okay, sure. Well. You know what we see as the the empire and the forces of fascism and oppression. You know, somebody else. You you flip it around. You know, we we definitely see this on the internet discussions today. Yeah. That, that you know that these that Antifa and uh, other groups are are fascist. Well, I mean, look at the name for one. Um, right. That's you know, you're, <laughs> right. You're, right. What uh, and. Uh, it's. I think people will see in these in in the media that they love. They will they will they will project onto it whatever they want. I see. Yeah. So, you know, and like Firefly is another good example of that. that okay. You know that that people really kind of uh, they 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 saw themselves in. They were attracted to the brown coats to mm-hmm. Malcolm Reynolds and his ragtag crew um and the whole thing was a um the whole thing was it was it was a civil war kind of metaphor brown coats were all of these they were confederates Mm -hmm. uh you know the the that whole mythology around the 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 lost war Mm -hmm. um and so all these people who i i don't think usually would be affiliating themselves with a a, a traitorous army in support of slavery you know, found this spirit of, you know, f- rebellion and freedom against oppressive tyranny. They saw that in those characters. Right. They found it resonant. Yeah. Even if maybe what it, uh, what what inspired it maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is 
something that in our present world we would raise a, a, a yellow card or a red card yeah, and say, are you sure that that's what mm. you think? Yeah. Are you sure really, that that's... Really where you want to go? Yeah, is that where you want to yeah. be standing? Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I think that canon, canon ideologues mm-hmm. right, is, a, is, a, is a good way to think about that, right? Yeah. I expect my uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever, mm-hmm. to... It's like it's like uh, originalism, right? I expect it to be exactly the same. How dare you change the set mm-hmm. of the Enterprise? How dare you, sir? Right. right? Well, come on, people. Give me because a now you have modern technology that looks more like something's going to look in the 23rd century, and you know you have you don't have analog you know chronometers running backwards and that well, kind of and, thing. And you know what? You've actually got two nickels. Mm-hmm. to build your set with rather than just the one also true. so you don't have to build it from foam board right right and hope that it doesn't fall apart while they're filming right right um and at least for me in 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 this in this vein mm. all of these media properties uh, that have been going on a long time mm-hmm. okay have evolved their narrative and their sensibility over time mm-hmm. to try to become successful or not to try to become more themselves than they were when they started mm-hmm. right they're always trying to get a better and more pure expression of what they're about yeah. or by offering the contrast to show you the value of the core message right that's why ds9 works yeah because they're so far away from the core you have to constantly interact with these non-federation people Mm -hmm. but even quark and garrick know that you know let's hope that the federation will come and save us oh and by the way we're actually delighted that the federation is running this station Mm -hmm. right um and yeah, it it completely it, it it's always bewildered me when yeah. when 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 people, I mean, look, we've 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 I joked about it ten minutes ago, mm-hmm. fully auto, fully automated luxury gay space communism. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what Star Trek is. Yeah, if that's not what your jam is, make your own show. Well, or go do because, something else, right? Yeah, because people want to, they want to only take slices. Right. No, they they don't want full. They don't want it to be fully automated. You know, mm-hmm. because that takes away, you know, the 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 Incentive honest labor of a of, of a, a good day's work and the sweat of a man's brow kind of thing. And, right. And maybe not communism. You know, it, I, it's not what it was. You know, it's it's they didn't mention money, but that doesn't mean that. OK, fine, whatever. So so people are able to kind of split and and slice and compartmentalize a franchise right. uh, and say, this is what it truly is without looking at everything else that that has been written or has been done on the topic and um you know what we don't own we don't get to say we don't own the ip so as much as as much as we might not like a decision or a a direction that a pro that something goes in is we maybe we don't like that particular way that disney has has handled star wars Maybe we don't like 
that you know that you know bat that that Superman kills someone. Um, you know, that's not really our call as fans, right? And, right. and I can, I, I mean, I can certainly say I don't like that, but I don't. I guess I don't really know that. And this is all. This is way more corporatist than I'm than I usually am, but I don't think that we have the ability to say. I only like these parts of a thing and not the others. And and please jettison these last three Star Wars movies. I don't consider them to be real. Yeah, right, right. They're there. Take them. You know, do what you will with them. They're there. Right. You know, you gotta you get whether you like them or not. That's fine. But do, you can't say that's not part of it. Agreed. Right. I, yeah. Uh, you I, you may not like Star Trek Five, but you have to accept it. Yeah. Right. Um, and you may not like the way that Discovery discusses uh, race and gender, mm-hmm. and you may not like uh, the way that Spock is is brought to life by Ethan Peck. But your your perspective is totally something you can share within a. Uh, you know, a scholarly space yeah. or a kind of a discussion space, but yeah. uh, it, there really isn't a lot of place in my... I don't have a lot of tolerance for uh, the kind of screeds that that mm-hmm. are ever more the norm in our yeah. discourse, right? Yeah. There's a distinction that I think has been lost, and I'll blame it on the internet or kids these days or whatever, uh, although I certainly know someone older than me who who professes this a lot there's a difference between i don't like a thing and this thing is garbage right so i just don't i i think i think maybe i'm just too non-confrontational but i you know i'll look at something and say well you know i didn't really like you know star wars 9 didn't care for it much didn't think it was it was well put together but i'm not going to go out and say that it is bad fundamentally or you know it shouldn't exist you know it's not mine to make the decision i don't think it belongs to anyone it doesn't necessarily belong to the corporation who's but they're the ones who are producing it currently so they are the ones who get who get the say yeah they get to decide what this franchise is going to say right yeah, yeah. um and if if your personal values uh, are ones that don't align with the, uh, the, the fictional values of a fictional universe, mm-hmm. and you like the fictional universe a lot, and you get, you derive meaning from it, yeah. and its values are in conflict with your real life values what I would encourage you to do is to reflect on your values yeah. and the disconnect mm-hmm. and figure out why it is that you like this mm-hmm. fictional property in the first place. Right. And right. if there is something there for which you, to which you could aspire, think about aspiring to it mm-hmm. rather, yeah. than, uh, rather than continuing to live within your own small, narrow context. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, There's a reason that you like this. There's a reason that it calls out to you. 
Right. You know, and w- what is that? Find that core and, and then look at everything that's revolving around that and where it clashes against what you've got in your head. And where did you get that thing in your head that's clashing against this thing that you kind of emotionally and, and at, a, at, a, at a very fundamental level you know, resonate with? Right. Yeah. Why is there a disconnect in your mind? Um, is it is it really because uh, uh, Michael B. Jordan was cast as the Human Torch? I mean, is that is that really? Are you that upset about that casting decision, or are you in a place of discomfort that you ought to do mm-hmm. some work on? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mean. To the previous point about race in, t- in TV, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and on other questions of the way I want my culture to be reflected in my cultural products and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I spend a lot of time. Obviously, we're making a podcast about a show. We right. talk about this all the time. The cultural questions are what we care about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and there are things about Babylon 5 that that I've struggled to understand, but the struggle is useful because at the end, hopefully you've come out learning something about yourself that you can then apply in other situations, right? We, we just, we live in an age where shouting louder is, is, is the, the, the goal and not learning a damn thing is the, uh, is the intention. Mm-hmm. Stop shouting. Start listening. Yeah. Let your fragile male ego rest aside for a moment. Right. And consider that you might be wrong. Let your fragile male ego sit by itself, uh, you know, in a five-minute, mm-hmm. uh, you know, penalty box. Mm-hmm. And just think for a minute that maybe... Someone other than you or everyone who you hang out with who's just like you may have a different perspective or a read yep. on on their life, mm-hmm. which, if you would listen to it, might help improve and deepen the richness of your own. Which, I mean, ultimately, that's what sci-fi is about, it seems to me that Babylon 5 wants you to resonate with the glorious uh, confusion of the way that human society looks to societies like the Mimbari. And you know what? Human society looks that confusing to us. Yeah. So we ought to take the lesson from Babylon 5 lean into its confusing nature and learn something. You are not the only person who has wisdom on this planet. And I don't need you to become Mm -hmm. empathetic at this stage. What I'd like you to do is stop screaming in your echo chamber for two minutes and listen to the fact that someone whose life experience is different from yours might actually have something to tell you mm-hmm. about the state of the world we're living in and 
that is what I hope that the the programs that we watch and the values that they espouse might help us ultimately get to. Very well said. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's the message that a lot of these shows are are putting out there. How often are these complex problems solved uh, in Star Trek Babylon Five by by listening and dialogue as opposed to just beating each other up, right? Or yelling. I mean, when when have you seen somebody win by yelling louder? Yeah, never. And, yeah, and well, I mean, Klingons, but it never doesn't really end well for <laughs> yeah, them. That's right. You that's know? right. And yeah. if if you look at it in the long run, it's you know doesn't doesn't work out. Right. And um, it certainly failure to effectively communicate is all over Galactica. Yes. Right. And yeah. failure to communicate and listen is fundamental to what the OPA is saying is wrong with the inner planets. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You just exploit us. You never listen. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. Uh, and on and on and on. We all need to be more Jakar. Precisely. Well put. Look at look at his look at his arc. Look at his his voyage. Well put. Uh. Yeah. If you if you use that as your model, you will not go wrong. I mean, I guess you know, b- back to the question of what was surprising. I knew yeah. Jakar had a long arc. Yeah. But good grief, I had I had not remembered it being quite so astounding. Mhm. Right? He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So, the next okay. topic relates to it, Babylon 5's kind of golden ageness, its great manness. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and and we as as students of history have talked about this throughout the course of the podcast and and how much of how much of things within the show really revolve around, you know, in particular Sheridan or Londo or whoever, you know, being being a pivotal individual that drives history as opposed to complex societal forces blah 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 etc etc um certainly uh when we when we look at um oh gosh i'm playing a deconstruction of falling stars you know that that leans heavy on the great man narrative of sheridan in particular uh how much of that is is just a, a factor of sci-fi fantasy of or of of television movies all of these things in particular i mean you're you're telling a story uh and it's not going to be encapsulating everything that's going on in the universe all of the socioeconomic trends all of these uh you know plagues you know flu viruses that that come out of nowhere and and you know absolutely destroy a, a global economy these kinds of things uh, i a lot of most of entertainment media focuses around individual characters and so i think you get those you get emphasis on on them as the ones who are driving and shaking the, the path of history whether it's a a, a, a prophesied one or you know, lineage. You know, because of because this person's father's father's father was was great, and the the you know the blood passes through to Aragorn, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, 
you know, I think in our in our media, things focus more on on individuals and of the the great man kind of approach to things. Uh, and it's really it's it's really a, a pretty big simplification. But I think you can you could look at a lot of these characters in Babylon Five as representative of different approaches or different uh, um, vectors within within society. They're metaphors. They're not necessarily individuals in and of themselves. I, I think the idea of seeing them as metaphors is actually a pretty good idea. Yeah. Um, I wish I'd thought of it before right now so I could have maybe like, broken it out and said, well, clearly. Yeah, well, you know. You, this character and that character. Yeah, you, next episode. You, you got there. You yeah. got there. You know, <laughs> give yourself some love. You got there. Um, okay. I, think, I think everything that you've said uh, resonates with me. Obviously, when you say that Sheridan is the nexus and mm -hmm. that you need the nexus in order to ensure that the galaxy you know mm -hmm. proceeds apace you are looking at the uh, greatest of great madness that you can you know that, right. that, that you could imagine right and no, he's not the only nexus there have been there have been others indeed indeed time but so it's he's not yeah but he is he is the chosen one. Right, exactly, right. The idea that there are nexuses speaks to that this is, uh, this is, this is informed by a, uh, an, an early strand of sci-fi thinking. Yeah. Right. And I've, I've mm -hmm. talked about, um, uh, you know, kind of old-school sci-fi on this show previously, yeah. as have you, and uh, it stands in contrast to the more collectivist or social kind of expressions of the golden age that you might find mm -hmm. in Olaf Stapleton's Last and First Men or mm -hmm. Doris Lessing's Shikasta uh, or uh, indeed, you know, in some books that you and I just finished, Shushin Liu's Three Body Problem, which mm -hmm. doesn't care as much about the individual as it does about the great the great the great forces at work in the universe yeah well i'm going to push back on that a little bit i'm not familiar with the others but i but to speak to to the shushin lu books it it does come down maybe not to one individual but to the decisions of individuals you know there are people at pivotal points there's the the um Oh crud! What are they called? Not the, the wall. Uh, wall facers. The wall builders. Wall facers. Yeah, you know, perfect example. Oh yeah, of that's a good individuals yeah. there. Yeah, um, that's a, yeah. My my whole my whole argument is yeah. is is the, fa yeah. faulty because of that. I didn't even think about and it. And the and the one guy who who like says I'm I'm taking this this you know small flotilla of ships and we're going off someplace right. you know against the so I think I think what we've seen in a lot of stuff in the maybe in the 25 years since Babylon 5 or in particularly modern is is not necessarily hinging on one individual but maybe on a small group of individuals mm -hmm. um, things like travelers which we've certainly talked right. about I think you should also drink when we mention travelers uh, that that it's it's among all of them it's not any one of them that is the the sort of the key we've, we've moved to a more ensemble uh media model right right to follow and i think that's i think that's good it's you know it's more uh it's more representative but you know i still don't 
I think that anytime you're telling a you're telling a story, I mean, it goes back to the the dawn of time. You're going to tell stories about Beowulf. Yeah, you're sure. Tell stories about uh, you know about King Arthur and the Round Table. Right. You know, rather than well, you know, the the Roman Britons and the you know and the and the Saxons and right, blah, blah, right, blah, 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 right. Yeah. So yeah, um, so in in yeah, I mean, certainly, I think that 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 Babylon Five enacts, reflects, and and is a, a good example of that kind of golden age mm-hmm. uh, approach, and is certainly worth studying in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next question, we may have sort of answered it, <laughs> right? I think so. Yeah. The next question was, how does this read now, 27 years later? And we've talked about it in in a lot of contexts and a lot of lenses. Um, I think it, you know, we and we particularly mentioning the the ISN episodes. Uh, yeah. Incredibly prescient. Right. You know, the rise of the rise of uh, racist fascism. Incredibly prescient. Yep. Uh, well, maybe perpetual as opposed to prescient. Prescient. Right. There. Right. Uh, but uh, it definitely it definitely reads. And, and hits the same kind of emotional points and and has the same significance now that it did you know than it did 27 years ago ask again in another 27 years I bet it still will right there is something timeless about this show yeah um, and it it still holds up by virtue of its long form commitment to storytelling yep. mm-hmm. and um, by the questions that it asks that we've that we've discussed on this episode and, and you know and in yep. others right mm-hmm. so I mean if if the if the subtext of the question is would you recommend someone rewatch Babylon 5 the answer is yeah yeah by all means totally or, worth it or watch it for the first time oh um, even more there's, so there is a, there is a thread on, on something awful that's going there are two of them running in parallel one is people who who have loved the show for years and the other is some people who have just started watching uh-huh. the show and and i and uh and that is a completely spoiler free zone no one's allowed to talk about anything beyond where these there's like three or four people that are watching and where they're up to nice um i i even i recommended them listening to the podcast and they got to a certain point a couple episodes in where apparently we said and when you see Babylon 4, you'll see the design. And that was like, eh, spoiler, nope, don't listen anymore. Oh, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I thought we'd been pretty good about it, but even the stuff that we've been, we were doing. But anyway, uh, and these are people who've been watching genre TV for their lives, but never saw Babylon 5 back in the day. And they're, they're, they're really digging it. Um, so I think bringing a new person in, yeah, just make sure you understand this is very 1990s. Right. Um, it's, you're not going to see a lot of, especially the, the effects, especially the, right. the props, right. the scenery, you know, it's, it's going to be different. Uh, but, uh, but the messages and the themes all still hold up perfectly well. Yep, totally. All yeah. right. So this brings us to what we do in every wrap up. Um, <laughs> yes. and as this is the wrap up of the whole show, top five, bottom three of the mm-hmm. entire show yeah um yep 
We're going to start with uh, uh, our bottom or top? Start with the bottom. Start with the bottom. Uh, yeah, the worst yeah. episode, uh, bo- uh, the third worst yeah. episode of Babylon Five for you, Chris, is well. See, you told me initially when 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 we were going to do our our bottom three, and you wisely said limit it to shows, not to any of the, the movies or not to right. any of the other things, because right. my bottom three were going to be River of Souls, <laughs> right there. Uh, so instead, it's pretty bad. I am, I'm it, it. It was it was pretty bad. Yeah, uh, my number three. Uh, this is not the worst, but this is third from the worst right. was by any means necessary. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which stinker. I thought just missed the mark so hard and oversimplified the 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 earth response. Um, and it it I, it was the first time really that we saw Sheridan Sinclair. Sorry, Sinclair, Sinclair right. or Sheridan. Uh, both of them, uh, you know, clever their way out of a situation. And and Sinclair got a double clever in that episode because he also resolved the problem with that uh, that plant that Londo had, right. Jakar wanted, right. and they were they were being really petty. Right. Um, so he, he kind of double clevered his way through it, and I was like, ugh. It's a, it's a manufactured problem. It's a manufactured solution, and it just landed wrong for me on every aspect. Yeah. Uh, by any means, I, I, I have put every episode of Babylon 5... Uh-huh. In order, maybe I'll share mm. that on the uh, Facebook group when. Oh, uh, that'd when be it great. I, to... I I didn't go that far, yeah. but uh, yeah. by any means necessary, I have as the tenth worst episode of uh, of Babylon Five. Okay, it's a yeah. dreadful episode. It's it's down um, there. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it's as what dreadful as Eyes, which is my third worst. Uh, you have a special place in your heart I for Eyes. I hate Ari Benzane beyond yeah. description. It is a stupid yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. ridiculously acted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did read something amusing about it recently, though, that apparently okay, that go. actor was going through a very painful and messy divorce at the time oh, and no. was channeling a lot of his anger through the character. Oh, no. Which just sort of yeah, thinking back, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes it yeah. a more, little right, more understandable. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> that, okay, maybe uh, Gregory Martin, I'll give you, I'll give yeah. you a pass. Um, yeah. The complete waste of Jeffrey Combs... Uh, also oh, causes yes. the episode to drop in my estimation, mm-hmm. um, but um, uh, just pointless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Your yeah. second worst. Definitely. Uh, voices of authority. You will respect the voices of my authority. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Which you know, it's it's. I found it strange actually that here we were that an early season three episode, probably my favorite season. You know, late season two, early season right. three is is kind of my golden window, right? Uh, to be so bad, but this is this is we have the political officer coming aboard to right. seduce Captain Sheridan, right? Uh, stupid, stupid. We have Ivanova bluffing a first one. Yeah, you know, like oh well, I guess uh, I guess what the Vorlon said about you was right. La la la. You know, right? Uh, it was just it was it was just poorly executed at every. At every possible level. Yeah. Um, I have that sort of s- smack in the middle, like just uh-huh. perfectly fine. Right? Yeah. But that I, political officer trying to seduce Sheridan, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Um, yeah. And then when she, when, when Sheridan <clears throat> turns her down, you know, Zach kind of makes a move on it. It was just gross. Yeah. And it was just bad at it. Yeah. yeah it was gross. Yeah. Um, yeah. My second worst episode uh, of this uh, program uh, was. Uh, 
uh, Soul Hunter, mm. um, and uh, about which uh, nothing more needs to be said, because no, I think I've we said talked about enough that about soul hunting. Yeah. Yes. Um, to uh, you know, to last for mm-hmm. for all time, and yeah. uh, you, your uh, uh, your my your worst... worst episode of the series was uh, I the, or this take my own advice from a few moments ago. The episode that I disliked the most from the entire series was Phoenix Rising. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the the demise of Byron and his cult. You know, singing as they. You know, no one could possibly foresee or stop them from immolating themselves. And it's it's just emblematic of all the problems that I had with the telepath arc. Uh, yeah, it's it's a worthy it's it, it's 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 a worthy episode for the worst of the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but what did you have? Uh, season one. If you say anything other than survivors, I'll be very surprised. Survivors is fourth. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, my lowest is Grail. Oh. Okay. With the okay, with, yeah. with the Navertine Korma, and yeah, uh, yeah. and oh, yeah. and yeah. That you one. you have David Warner, mm-hmm. and you do this with him. And mm-hmm. he's good. He's oh, good in this episode. Absolutely. But the yeah. episode around him is such a ridiculous mess mm. that uh, that you know it sort of infuriated me. It's interesting that two of my three bottom episodes are there because they wasted a talent that right. that they ought to have done a lot more with. Oh, mm. it makes me crazy because yeah. good guest stars really elevate this show right um and to use them in the service of such dumb scripts yeah if they hadn't had that level of of talent that was that was wasted these probably wouldn't you probably they wouldn't bought the episode wouldn't bother you as much correct and you would have you know late delivery from avalon or inquisitor higher up in the list than you do Uh, well Mm. where is that (laughs) uh it's in the bottom 15. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hated that episode too. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's let's go to good stuff. Let's okay? let's get good stuff here. What's your what's yeah. your number 5? My number 5 was passing through Gethsemane. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Yeah. Um it unlike the rest of my all the other episodes that I had and that was jockeying with another episode for fifth place. All the rest of them are uh, are definitely mythos episodes. Yeah. They're part of the larger story arc. But this was such a good standalone uh, that every time I tried to bump it lower in favor of a mythos episode, I was like, but it was so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I could have talked about that episode for hours mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. I loved it so much. Um, yeah. The single best standalone episode, the single best guest star performance. Yeah. Um, probably the single best acted 45 minutes uh, in this in this whole show. Mm-hmm. Um, and always unsettling because Brad DeReef 
working against type is even more unsettling than Brad DeReef on on point, yeah. right? Um, but he's still got that Brad DeReefness just below the surface oh, in this. Totally, the Brad the Brad DeReefitas. Right, the uncanniness of of his yes. performance. Yeah, he's an extraordinary actor. Um, I had it in my top ten, but not in my top five. Uh-huh. Um, and your five? Chrysalis. Uh-huh. Season one. Okay. Um, yeah. Because much like, uh, you know, the best of both worlds, part one on Star Trek The Next Generation, this episode is so prepared to throw out things that you thought were, uh, you know, mm. kind of, uh, you know, c- cast in iron, right? Right. What is going on with Delend? Is De- what she's an she's yeah. the most important character who isn't a human so far that we can tell. Yeah. What is going on? And mm-hmm. and it 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 does you know Mimbari ninth level esoteric weirdness better yes. than almost anything else on this program, and therefore I loved yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. Your number four. Good. My number four is uh, Severed Dreams, you know, our mm. uh, our break away from Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, it had uh, Delenn dissolving the Grey Council, again, Mimbari, Ninth Level Esoteric Weirdness, right. handled, handled nicely. Um, and I love a big ship battle, so it had to be in there someplace. Can't go wrong. Yeah. Right? Um, yep. Uh, my number four was uh, In the Shadow of Zahadum mm. from season two uh, because it raises far more questions than it answers mm-hmm. and it deepens and makes even more interesting questions of the shadows before we mm-hmm. fully know about them, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think, frankly, in Rewatch, the episode is is not as powerful as it is on the first go but i remember it from watching it yep. the first time and yep. you know it's got great morden stuff it's got great narn stuff mm-hmm. um and it's got the ethical dilemma uh-huh. of you know do we let him go and you know so pretend we don't know mm-hmm. the whole thing with the enigma code yeah right um that's my number three. So. Oh, nice okay yeah um, so we're, we're we're lined up there yeah um my uh my number three was uh, War Without End, mm-hmm. which I just mm-hmm. kind of grouped as one as one thing, yeah. right? Uh, yep. It was nice to see uh, Sinclair back. I love a good time yep. travel story. Absolutely. Um, I love a tight one. A tight, yeah, tightly told mm-hmm. story. Um, very well acted, very well written. Uh, probably the tightest thing we had seen to that point. Um yeah. Really, really on the mythology hard um, mm-hmm. and uh, totally enjoyed it. Yep. Yep. Your number two? My number two is The Long Night. Uh, you know, much like Severed Dreams, it's the end of a multi-parter. Uh-huh. We get the, the death of Cartagia um, at the hands of Veer. I which, know. Which is great. Which you is know, great. You didn't see that coming. Um and you uh, you have to have something. I believe that was also the one where you've got you've got all the tensions over the the 
the the Vorlon planet killers and the shadow. The Vorlons have right. revealed themselves for what they right. really are. Um, it's it's really everything coming to a head, uh, and and close to the pinnacle of the show. Right. Um, I had uh, the long night at six. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and for all the reasons that you said, Cartagia yeah. uh, had to go, and it mm-hmm. was so great to see. Uh, the continuing evolution of the Veer character in a way that I would never have anticipated, right? Yeah, yeah. The notes from JMS on that episode that he'd always intended it to be Londo. But as he was writing the scene, he says, Veer just kind of stood up and said, no, no, that'll be me, thank you. And it's it's that it surprised him as he was writing. Nice, nice. But really, how how could it be other? Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, how could it be other, right? Right. Um, My number two is... Zahadum, mm. the season finale mm-hmm. of episode three, uh, season three, yep. Uh, yep. where, uh, I mean, a, a lot, a lot yeah. happens. Uh, everything hits the fan. Everything hits the fan. And I loved the philosophical discussion, particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, was, it was interesting to kind of get into JMS's head a little bit. And yeah. to, uh, you know, to really unpack that. And, you know, back to the question about the Golden Age, great man stuff. This is where we see that in its most, you know, kind of its most pure form. Uh, I, thought it was a, I thought it was a dandy piece of writing. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah. I completely agree. A great, a great season closer. You know, in, in the 90s were, were known for their season closers of, of like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Exactly. Uh, and and this show had proven that it was uh, willing, as you said before, to go places and and you know, oh, well, maybe, maybe Sheridan does die. Well, let's see what happens here. Right, yeah. right. Um, yeah. Okay, so we're down to your number one and my number one best episode down. of Babylon Five. Best episode of Babylon Five for me is the coming of shadows. Same. All right, we did we it! Go. Yay! Nicely, <laughs> yay! We lined up, uh, you know, and and you you talk about Brad Dereef as the best sort of guest star. Oh yeah, uh, performer. Uh, but you know, we've got Turhan Bay just absolutely killing it as right. as the emperor. Right. Um, and if there is a line that stuck with me over twenty seven years about Babylon Five, and if there's really a thesis statement about Babylon Five, it was. How does this end in fire? Right. You know, right. That's, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, this episode won the 1996 Hugo for mm-hmm. best uh, dramatic presentation and yeah. richly deserved it. Uh, yeah. To your point, uh, I think Brad DeReef is still, for me, the the number one guest star. Turhan Bey is mm-hmm. clearly number two. Um, yeah. He, that performance was so much... Uh, so much more moving than I remembered it. Um, And, and the journey that Jakar goes on in this episode alone, right, is one of the most extraordinary pieces of acting in any sci-fi show of any era of any time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It is a masterclass. What Katsulas does on this episode uh, and it frankly establishes so much of what's coming 
across all of the different races on the show that mm-hmm. to to rank it any lower uh, on what evidence, right? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. It, there was there were no flaws, you know. It was right. It, it's if you think of it as as the the Olympic gymnastic performance, I I couldn't I couldn't ding it in any category, and so it, it had to be at the top. Yeah, flawless victory, yeah. as they say. Oh. That Jakar and Veer in the elevator. Oh yeah. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. That's the good stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's it's that it it is that last best chance for peace in that in that episode right there is where we get it yep you know that is that is the pivotal point of the entire series yep of the entire plot yep and you know in some respects that is so much about what this show is about you you know uh missed opportunities lost opportunities um right struggling to get back to you know what is what is right and what is good um Mm -hmm. yeah uh brilliant Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so that that leaves just one question: yeah. What is the ongoing cultural legacy of the 1990 <laughs> science fiction television program Babylon Five? <clears throat> Let me have a slip, a sip of and beverage. Little little sip. Yes. What yeah, look? Because there's what, nothing that listeners love more than than a little bit of uh, of mouth noise of drinking something oh, right. at, a, at an hour and thirty five minutes into a show. Right. Uh, yeah. Ex- exactly. <laughs> right. I'm going to lean into self indulgence on our last episode. Um, Please. I've been leaning into self-indulgence for 114 episodes. <clears throat> okay, so. Yeah. My first contention, and then I'll mm-hmm. let you, you know, we'll kind of go back and forth yep. on this. One, modern, long-form, serialized uh, prestige television doesn't exist without Babylon 5 having done it first. Because to get to where we are, you have to have gone through shows like Lost, Sopranos, yeah. uh, Galactica. And you don't get to those shows unless you do Babylon 5 first. Mm-hmm. So, completely agree. That is, it, it, there isn't anything else doing this. At the time, X Files is kind of there. Deep Space Nine is sort of there and going to be more there yep. in the years after DS Nine is off the air. Yep. But uh, but at the time, a five year vision? No, no, it's not there. Um, yeah, it's it, it shapes it shapes what we what we see come after it, and I, I think it's also the strength of the showrunner. Um, right. Certainly JMS was not the only one. Uh, you, you get Chris Carter from X-Files and you know, Ronald Moore and some other folks that, whose names kind of endure over the years. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're, you're seeing a, a big shift f- away from the networks kind of calling the shots on what the show is going to be and somebody really... Somebody really driving. Now, I'm sure somebody who knows more about television than I do will be like, well, what about Hill Street Blues and uh, you know, whatever? It's probably been, been done. But it's, it's, it, it seems to me that this is the time when, when shows are being produced kind of 
separate from the network controlling them. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of the breakdown of the network system is in some ways yeah. prefigured by the fact that Babylon 5 is on the most nominal of networks, P10, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, okay. So that's my first. What, what, what do you, what, what's yours? Um, well, I, I mean, the showrunner issue, I, I sort of had that in ah, the, sure, okay. the episodic uh, or the, the episodic versus uh, storytelling as, as two different ones. Um, I think it gave us greater, my, my, my other point is, I think it gave us greater depth into the, the characterization of alien characters mm-hmm. and those cultures. Uh, we'd had some Klingon stuff, uh, but but we'd... And and Worf as a main character, yeah, but he's sort of more humanized for because of growing up on Earth. But you know, I think you're you're getting the willingness to to get into kind of weird cultures, weird mind spaces in your um, in your storytelling, and weird as as a as a narrative character, as a as a main narrator character. Yeah, yeah, I. I... I can definitely see that. Yeah. Uh, I think that the development of fully realized, rich alien cultures and a, a sort of just a general note on world building is one mm-hmm. of its ongoing cultural legacies because Babylon 5 really, really cares about world building. Yeah. And mm, the Star Trek universe... A little less. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, it doesn't not care, mm-hmm. but um, it doesn't It doesn't have the same Bible integrity, mm-hmm. you know, storytelling Bible integrity that, that a Babylon 5 does. Um, yeah. You know, you can see that in, in this very time, you know, by going to watch the, uh, the, the, the movie insurrection which mm-hmm. having rewatched it recently feels like a kind of uh you know sort of a, a throwaway two-parter in season six right mm-hmm. why is this story a movie one and two it's why is it even in star trek it kind of doesn't even fit um so still the only film of the franchise i haven't seen yeah well maybe someday when i'm bored yeah it looks all right but it's it's yeah. a strange, strange movie. Um, what else? Uh, I think it was well. I mean, again, you know, it's hard to separate from Deep Space Nine going on at the same time yeah. in a lot of a lot of ways. But it's definitely showing us that that it leans more into sci-fi. Doesn't have to be shiny. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah, you know. Deep Space Nine, the Alien franchise, we got a lot of kind of gritty sci-fi beforehand, but it's not, it's not polished, it's not perfect, it's not, uh, you know, we, we've got the the down below and the brown sectors right. and, and these sorts of these sorts of things are, are are going concerns that have to be have to be kind of addressed and and are part of the world. Right. Um, I would I would add to that that Babylon Five shows that you can have. A larger than previously was normal cast, mm-hmm. and people will remember who they are, right? And 
will be able to keep the threads of the story together. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, without that, how do you get to Game of Thrones? I mean, Game of Thrones is ridiculous. Right. Right. And, you know, you and I are have watched a little bit of this program called Dark, mm. which is so hard. Right. It's so good. Yeah. But it's. Oh. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have uh, flow charts connected with red string on my wall to remember who's related to <laughs> who. And, right. And, yeah. That's right. Um, I um, mm. I think a willingness to tackle questions of spirituality within a sci-fi framework mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. is a, is an aspect of its uh, ongoing legacy. Um, Definitely. Right now, there are those who might say, "Well, surely that's the entirety of Deep Space Nine inclusive." It starts with Cisco as the emissary of the prophets and goes forward. Mm. And I won't disagree with that. It might be a it might be a matter of its time, but I think that mm. Babylon Five's willingness to engage those questions um, yeah. is uh, is part of its legacy. Star Trek the next mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, notwithstanding. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the the fact that you can write. You can have one person write the whole dang thing, yeah, more or less. Is yep. maybe it goes back to your point about the showrunner kind of concept, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but so many shows now um, are deeply controlled by one overarching vision of what the show should be, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And that is both to the good and the bad. You know, it's to the good if you like the person. Whose vision it is, right? right? Maybe less good right. if you're not if you don't jam with those people, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm still the sort that will take a take a collaborative project over a over a single a tour vision. Yeah. almost any day. Yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think that uh, you know, kind of at the at the end of the day, maybe it's it's last legacy is to sort of plant a flag in the in the hill that says within a sci-fi setting you can do real human stories and it's not just about ray guns and robots but Mm -hmm. you can do real stories about real people humans and aliens right and if you make your aliens have enough integrity then people will care about them just as much as 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 any other character, and mm-hmm. maybe in some respects even more. My my position at the end of this program is unchanged from the beginning, which is the aliens are more interesting than the humans. Yeah, I I I fully agree. I think there was more more attention giving to develop developing them fully as characters uh, than uh, than any of the humans that we get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there it is. And there we have it. Three years to answer the question. Yep. And I think it's uh, I think it's well spent and, and well answered. Yeah. Yeah. And we were we were asked uh, <laughs> by one listener what what our you know what what about a new project? <laughs> the hardest question. Right. And the answer is Chris and I are talking about it. Yeah. And you know, being being a you know firm New England stock, you know we've got a <laughs> we've got a spreadsheet and. 
Yes. And we've got uh, various categories uh, of, uh, you know, of weights, Mm -hmm. you know, on a scale of one to 714. uh, How do you how do you rate this particular potential project against these factors? Uh Right. I, I believe some of our uh, criteria were blood and treasure. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, how much blood would this cost? How much treasure? Exactly. Uh, yeah. To 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 do it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and you know, whether that's something that's public facing, like a writing project or a podcast or or something of the sort, or whether it's something that's just that's just personal. Right. Uh, we're not sure. Right. Um, we haven't decided we'll see. yet. No, I think I think I I didn't want. I didn't want to commit my brain fully to thinking about something else until this was wrapped. Agreed. Agreed. Because because if I really, if I got my engines rolling, mm, I mm. messed that metaphor up. Uh, if I really get going on a new something, then the impetus to actually do anything with this final wrap-up episode would, would just not be there. I would have phoned it in or just, eh, maybe we just don't, we don't need a wrap-up, do we? Nah, let's keep going with this new right, thing. Right, yeah, we want to. Yeah. It, it it's a it's certainly important to to me as well that don't get your don't get your head in the new yeah. right finish what you're finish what you're doing right don't start a yeah. new manuscript when you're at the death the you know the death slog part mm-hmm. of the previous oh right oh and i i leave a i leave a trail of three quarter finished products uh, projects in my wake wherever i go <laughs> it's you know my basement is littered with uh with stuff that I thought was a good idea and got going right. and, eh, sort of petered out. So I don't want that. Don't want that anymore. But you know what? You know, now that we're really at the end, we have yeah. an extraordinary body of work <clears throat> to be proud of. We do. Right? We, I, Is this I, a perfect show? We do. No. For no? the first show that you and I have done together, mm-hmm. we made 114 episodes of this show. And, mm-hmm. and I think we gave Babylon 5 as good as it gave to us, even when we didn't like it. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I think so. I think we, I think we were fair. We might've been a little too harsh in the first season. Maybe, uh, maybe coming at it with that, with an approach we didn't want to take. I mean, I know that there, that there's, it's, it's popular to say, Oh, it's, it's, you know, wasn't that good of a show and it was real, a real stinker. And I think we may have come in with a little bit of that bias, but, um, yeah, it certainly won us over over time, yeah. and, and that was washed at least until season five started. Uh, <laughs> right. Which, 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 in fairness, you know, since I hadn't seen it, I we we entered with with clear eyes and and a, and right. a fresh openness and uh, right, yeah, for what it was. I, um, I think actually we like season five better than season five is generally regarded in the press. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Because there was a there was a lot that I thought was pretty good. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, that's for, that's for the past. Yeah. Um, we got it done, kid. We did. Right. It's been We're extraordinary. Here. Made it through. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. All I those, can't. everyone who said that we would, uh, we'd never finish it. Gail. <laughs> <laughs> Long time non-listener of the podcast. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a very dear yeah. friend who, uh. Who, when when she learned that we were doing this, she sort of rolled her eyes in a way that she uniquely rolls her eyes. Where I was yeah. like, "Well, that'll that'll last seven yeah. episodes, right?" Well, and, and this past week when we said we were recording the the final, she's like, "You guys are still doing that?" Right. It's like, "Yeah, we, we're 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 we're, right. we're done. We've, we finished it up." She was like, "I didn't think you'd get six episodes." Right. Oh <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. No. We made oh, it. There you go. Um, we're stubborn like that. You know what? 
we were not going to not finish. Right. We were not going to prove the naysayers. Right. 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 And we were not mm-hmm. going to prove our own internal naysayery right either. Exactly right? so. And, uh, you know, look, we, we conceptualized this show uh, almost almost exactly three years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, at the time, making a show until 2020 seemed like, oh, my God, what a commitment. Well, well, oh, yeah, worse, right? When we started, yeah, we were, we were biweekly when we started. And so we were looking out to, like, 2022. Right. I'm uh, glad we changed that. Yeah. 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 I think we were, we were in our best rhythm when we were recording regularly, mm-hmm. watching regularly. Right. Agreed. You know, whenever we, we, uh, it always took us a, an episode or two to get back up to speed when a new season started. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think doing, doing this kind of thing in a more mm-hmm. sustained way is, is better for my, yeah. my brain space. Um, yeah. so, yeah. uh, it's been it's been extraordinary, Chris. It's been it really has. It's been uh, it's been fun. It's been uh, you know, challenging. Yeah. It's been educational. Uh, you know, need to of course, won't well, they'll never hear it. But to thank uh, thank our families right. for enduring. You know, as we set up and recorded and watched these shows. Right. And they hustled off into other rooms. You know, to pretend this to to pretend our shame didn't exist. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I watch a lot more television than John does. Um, yeah. And frankly, the television he watches is um, often shameful. So, you know, mm. I'm not interested in your judgment, uh, John. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I would when I would say, oh, no, I've got a, I've got episodes of B5 to watch wherever we lived. He'd be like, mm-hmm. and I'm closing the door. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I don't I don't need to watch that anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also want to offer. Uh, thanks and remembrances to our third host, our third chair. Right. To to Max. Max, who got more um, fan mail than either of us combined. Exactly so. Right. Exactly right. so. And even just this past week, someone who's just started listening right, to the podcast. Right. Oh, I love Max. He's great. I'm like, oh, oh you spoilers. Poor thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, well, we're glad that that he uh, he entered everybody's lives and right. that he he that he brought happiness. Um, to, which uh, you did to so many, which you yeah, did, yeah, yeah, uh, and you know, not just uh, mm-hmm. not just you, you know, not just me, mm-hmm. but uh, yep. but the larger audience. So yeah, yeah, yep. So I, I mean, I if I had a one of those crazy plungers, you know, from Acme TM, you know, then we could <laughs> right, yeah, but um, pull the lever, yeah, yeah. Uh, folks. Uh, I suspect that. You will hear again from us in some form or another uh, at some point down the road. But for now, uh, we're signing off the name of the pod. We thank you for listening. We're grateful for all of the support and the feedback. And uh, we look forward to whatever comes next. Until then. Yeah, be seeing you. Okay. (laughs) Bye.